Amen. Thank you, uh, Carol, very much. Thank you. Let me pray for us as we come to look at that, uh, that passage. That St. Paul says to the Corinthians that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Uh, Lord Jesus, those words are especially true of the words that uh, you speak to us today. Uh, this makes no sense to the world, and yet it makes every sense to those who know you. And we pray that we would hear your voice uh, speaking to us again this morning about what it means to follow you, and we'd be obedient to your call. Amen. Well, uh, let me have my own welcome to that of uh, Ben's. It's great to, uh, great to have you with us. My name is Will. I'm the uh, curate here, so one of the, uh, one of the ministers, and uh, yeah, it's great to have you with us. Uh, I don't know if you've been watching the headlines recently, but apart from the snow, uh, Donald Trump is dominating the uh, headlines at the moment, isn't he? Yeah, oh no, I know, but he is. Never mind, we don't like him, no. Okay, fair enough. I'm not going to make any political points at all this morning. Uh, he's, uh, he's working hard to secure the bid for the Republican uh, nominee for, uh, for the President of the United States. There are lots of things that you could say about Donald Trump, but modesty is not one of them, I don't think. This is one sample quote from the campaign. There are many I could have chosen, but this is one I thought stood out. Uh, he described himself as the greatest jobs president that God ever created, apparently. I don't know how you measure that, uh, but uh, there we are. That's uh, one of his sample statements. He is not somebody who is known for modesty. I think it's quite easy to laugh at someone like Donald Trump. He's a bit like those candidates on The Apprentice, isn't he, who they'd wheel out and they'd make these grand claims about being the best salesman ever in the history of the world, and then the CV would betray otherwise. But actually, I think Donald Trump and those candidates on The Apprentice actually arguably simply uh, reflect a rather unpleasant aspect of our culture today. Uh, We live in an age of selfies and social media and all kinds of things like that. And in that kind of age of of social media and selfies and what have you, the, the only person that really matters is us, isn't it, really? Essentially, we, we live in a pretty selfish culture. Number one, it's all about looking after number one. Uh, philosophers have called it the, the age of the atomized self, if you want to give it a, a, a sort of technical title. Uh, I'm just content to call it selfishness, ultimately. Uh, if we've been, uh, you've been with us in Mark's Gospel over the last uh, few weeks and months as we've been looking at it, uh, there's been a question that has been kind of overshadowing all of it. And that great question is simply, who is this man? Who is Jesus? What what is he all about? Why has he come? Who is he? Uh, And what is the difference that he can make? Uh, And that question that's been looming over Mark's gospel has has just at this point been answered by the disciples. Uh, The disciples have recognized that Jesus is the Son of God and he's God's anointed king. He's the one who the prophets promised he's going to come and he's going to save uh, the world. And as they, they're now at this stage where they're turning away from the ministry has been mainly based up in the north of, uh, of kind of Palestine, and they're moving down slowly to Jerusalem, where Jesus' ministry is going to come to a climax. And as they do so, Jesus is going to kind of start to explain a bit more in detail. What does it look like to follow him when he's not with them physically? He's starting to explain what, what, what's coming for them. What's life going to look like uh, when he isn't there. And uh, this uh, snapshot we have this morning is, uh, is a brief stay in Capernaum, which is the, the kind of the place where Jesus had spent most of his ministry. And here Jesus, I think, offers us two challenges, two challenges about what it means uh, to follow him. 
So if you've got a Bible, it'd be great if you could keep it open at uh, page 1013, Mark uh, chapter 9, uh, from verse 33. And the first uh, challenge that Jesus issues uh, this morning to us is he says that following him is a challenge to our status. It's a challenge to our status, do you see, verse uh, 35. Uh, Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and he said, if anybody wants to be first, he must be the very last. If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last. Uh, Jesus and the disciples uh, have been travelling sort of south, as I said. They've been in Caesarea Philippi, right in the north of, uh, of Palestine. They're, they're travelling down, and they're now in, uh, on, on the shore of Lake Galilee. And on the way, if we've read the rest of uh, this chapter, we would have seen that Jesus would have been explaining to them about what was awaiting him when they finally got to Jerusalem. Uh, verse uh, 30, uh, 31 He says, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days, he will rise. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, it's clear from uh, the rest of this that that the disciples haven't really been paying much attention to what he's been saying. Uh, All they could think about on the journey was, who's going to be top dog? Who's going to be the greatest in Jesus' new kingdom? Uh, we're told that, aren't we, in verse uh, 34. Or verse 33, Jesus recognised that they'd been arguing about something. Uh, verse 34, they kept quiet because on the way they'd argued about who was the greatest. What's in it for them? Well, it seems a bit childish, doesn't it? It's a bit immature. Uh, grown men squabbling about who's going to be sort of top dog in their little gang. Uh, and yet, I, I don't know about you, but when I read this, it, it, it has the ring of truth about it doesn't it? Uh, who of us hasn't thought about this in some way, in some context? Who, which of us hasn't wanted to be top of the pile, top of the greasy pole, to be the one whom everyone else looks to for uh, power and success and status? I think in passing, it's a, uh, one of the reasons why we can trust Mark's gospel, why we can believe that Mark is telling us the truth when he tells us this account of Jesus. There's no attempt to whitewash the disciples. Uh, The kind of tradition is that that Mark got much of his information from Peter. Peter probably would have been here. He was one of those who thought that he could be top dog. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'd been uh, sort of recasting the story of Jesus, I would have made sure very clear to edit that bit out and uh, to present myself as a kind of humble, servant-hearted disciple the whole way through. It doesn't happen, I think, because it happened. Uh, The portrait is warts and all. But anyway, that's what we've got. We've got disciples arguing, uh, bickering, at the moment when Jesus tells them about where it's all going, to the cross. It's no wonder they're pretty embarrassed. They keep quiet when he calls them out on it. Uh, They must have felt pretty ashamed. Well, I don't know what you'd do if you were Jesus. I think I'd probably roll my eyes at this point, uh, become a bit annoyed, go and look for some more followers. Uh, But he doesn't. He takes this moment to do some serious teaching. Uh, in the, the New Testament, at times, when a rabbi wants to teach seriously, he'd sit down. And I think Mark includes that here. He's saying, this is, this is big stuff, guys. Listen up. This is major teaching that you have to pay attention to. And what does he say? It's something that turns the world on its head. This is what it means to follow Jesus. If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last. If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last. Following Jesus means renouncing all claims that we might have to status, to power, to to wealth, to all those things that the world holds as the most precious. 
The way of the kingdom is to be last, not first in the eyes of the world. It's the very reversal, isn't it, of what our society tells us we should be hungering for. Society tells us that we should be top dog. That's what you should be aiming for. You should be number one. You should have everybody uh, looking at you and thinking you're a wonderful person, a great person, a great figure. And Jesus says, no, in his kingdom, it's the other way around. Actually, it's the people at the bottom who are the first. Well, if it's pretty shocking for us, you can imagine it would be pretty shocking for the disciples as well. And I think it was particularly shocking for them because in Jesus' day, there was a very deep, long-standing belief that when, the, the, when God's king eventually came, he would come in great power, he would throw out the Romans who occupied Palestine, and he would set up his kingdom, and all those who'd followed him would in some way be rewarded. They'd be kind of given big positions in government or, or, or so on and so forth. And I wonder if in their minds they were still buying into this. I mean, they'd been with Jesus for, for, for some time now, but still that thought was lingering. Maybe Jesus got it wrong. Maybe he is going to come in power. He's going to shut the Romans out. He's going to set up his kingdom. It's going to be glorious, and we're going to be with him. We're going to be in his cabinet. We're going to get lots of power. This is going to be pretty good. We've backed the right horse here. But actually, the countercultural nature of Jesus' kingdom just hadn't quite got through to them yet. That's not how it's going to be. Jesus' kingdom operates very differently. But, but I wonder if really the reason why it is most shocking is because the same reason that it's shocking to us. Because it goes against our deepest desires as human beings, doesn't it? In all of us, there is that craving for success, for acknowledgement, uh, for status, for power, for recognition. It's one of the most basic of human appetites. You think in lots of um, films or books uh, it, or TV series, that, that is the driver behind them. Uh, Some months ago, we were watching um, House of Cards, the series. And uh, one of the drivers behind that that series, and in lots of ways, there's lots of things that are pretty reprehensible, but it's astonishing to see the driver that power and ambition can be in a person's life. Uh, And it's true in fiction, it's true in life as well. Uh, But it's that craving for status, that craving for power, that Jesus demands that we leave behind when we follow him. And he demands it because actually that's the path that he himself has taken. Uh, He's not asking us to do something that he hasn't already done and to a far greater measure we could possibly match. Think about it. In Jesus, we see God taking on fallen humanity in all its fullness. He came as a little baby, uh, taking on frail human flesh. Uh, He grew up in, in poverty, and hardship. He spent a life. He said that he had no place to lay his head. He had no possessions to speak of. Uh, he was a king. He was entitled to uh, all the trappings of power and wealth that, that, he, that, that he could get his hands on. But he chose to give them up. Uh, and ultimately, his life of innocent love and purity was smashed on a cruel cross for our sakes. And he tells us that where he is, his servants also will be. And wonderfully, the Father will honor the one who serves him. Uh, At the end of the Victorian age, the 19th century, uh, Victorian Britain was gripped by the story of seven wealthy students who gave up ambitions and prospects and popularity to go and serve uh, Jesus as missionaries uh, in China. Uh, They were called the Cambridge Seven, a group of uh, young men. They'd become Christians by and large at, at university in Cambridge, and their lives were transformed 
by meeting Jesus. They went on a tour around the country, and the uh, the halls and uh, meeting places were absolutely packed to hear these men give their testimony about why they were going to Cambridge. Uh, The people loved them, but the newspapers called them mad. They were off their heads. They were loony. Why would you give up success, popularity, the prospect of, uh, of a comfortable life to go to China. Very few missionaries came back from China alive at that time. It was an incredibly dangerous place. They might not even get there because of the, uh, the, uh, the shipping uh, was uh, so perilous. But those men, I think, had grasped Jesus' challenge in these verses. They realized that to follow Jesus means giving up status and accepting his path. Uh, one of them later wrote these words that have always been a challenge to me. Uh, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. They knew that losing reputations, losing wealth was nothing compared to what you would gain for serving the Lord Jesus and his gospel. I guess most of us this morning will not be called to make sacrifices in the way that that those men um, were. But for all of us, in some way, following Jesus will mean a challenge to our status. Uh, Maybe it will mean uh, being thought less of by our friends or our colleagues. They think we're a little bit too intense. They're a bit weird. Maybe they even whisper the word fundamentalist behind our backs. I don't know. Uh, Maybe it will mean uh, having to give up promotion, prospects of promotion, because actually our bosses think that we can't be trusted because actually we're people who've got too much integrity. I've certainly known uh, friends who've had that. They've been told. They've been passed over for promotion because uh, their bosses have presumed that they're people of integrity, actually, who won't go along with what their company wants. That's something they've had to to deal with. Jesus doesn't bring us reflected glory, at least not in the eyes of the world. But to be last in the world's eyes is to be first in his eyes. And I know what I'd rather choose when it comes down to it. Friends, are you ready for the consequences of following Jesus? It will mean a challenge to status, because if anybody wants to be first, he must be the very last. I said there were two challenges uh, that Jesus gives us in this passage, and the second one is this. Following Jesus means a challenge to service. Following Jesus means a challenge to service. Jesus uh, goes on, verse 36. He takes a little child and had him stand among them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Well, we say, don't we, that a picture paints a thousand words. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's using a visual illustration to push home the point that he's been making and to kind of expand it. And it's not for the the last time, actually, in his ministry that he uses a a little child and uh, puts him in the middle of the circle of the disciples. Uh, We live in an age, don't we, where uh, we are proudly child-centred, I think it's probably fair to say. Uh, There was an article in the newspaper just the other week about whether that was damaging to children, that parents were putting their children first. Uh, Parents are lauded, by and large, for giving things up for the sake of their children. They're encouraged to put children first. There's there's a lot that's, that's good in that, we should say. But in Jesus' day, that kind of attitude would have seemed completely ridiculous, you would have been seen as being completely off your head if you had given uh, up things for your child. Uh, in the ancient world, children had no rights or status at all. They were right at the very bottom of the pile. They were, they were pretty much seen as a necessary evil or a burden at best. 
at least until they grew up, and they could kind of offer some money for the family or they could make a name for themselves, they could support the parents in the old age, that sort of thing. Uh, It would have been absolutely unthinkable in the ancient world to see a child as somebody worth serving. If anything, it it would have had to be the other way round. And Jesus is making a, a powerful point here. He's saying that for followers of him, a child is exactly the sort of person, actually, that they should be serving. It is the people that the world ignores, people with the world that would put down, the ones who've got nothing to offer us in return, who deserve our attention and our service. Following Jesus is a challenge to serve. Once again, Jesus is only asking us to, to follow his example, of course, uh, throughout his ministry, uh, it was characterised by his special uh, care for the poor, uh, for the needy, for the vulnerable. Uh, the people of power and the, the religious people couldn't stand him. They, they loathed him and hated him and wanted him, to, uh, wanted him dead. Uh, but the masses flocked around him. They saw something about him that was supremely attractive. Uh, he was somebody who cared about them. Uh, he lived in his life in the service of others. In fact, Jesus summed up his own mission in terms of service. And we're going to look at that in a few weeks uh, when we get to it in uh, Mark chapter 10. He said this, uh, For even the Son of Man, i.e. Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There we have it. Jesus sees his life as one of service. And the crown of that service is, of course, his death. On the cross. That was the ultimate act of service that the world indeed has ever known. There's no other act of service that can match that of the Lord Jesus on the cross. Because on the cross, Jesus served the human race by dying the death that we deserved to die, by taking the punishment that was ours to bear. Uh, he served people who he knew potentially would not uh, respond to him uh, in, 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 in like kind. And yet he served us by doing what we couldn't do for ourselves to deal with sin. We are the the helpless people that he is talking about and that he has modelled that service for. And he says that for those who've been served by him, they too uh, should serve others. I don't know if this is true, but I read somewhere that the British have the reputation of being the worst waiters in the world, apparently. I don't know who they're measuring that by. The French are pretty bad, in my experience. Um, But... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there we are. But anyway, uh, apparently, so, so it goes, uh, they are too proud to, to serve others. That's what uh, the, the kind of the respect of the, the, the opinion of the world is. Uh, we're apparently far too proud to properly put ourselves at the disposal of others. I don't know, maybe it's true, I'm not sure. I haven't spent long enough in the restaurant to betray to, to know. But my suspicion is actually that whatever the nationality, uh, that there's a similar problem. Because the truth is that deep down, nobody likes serving others, do we? Uh, just like we'd like to hold on to our status, so we would rather that other people served us than the other way round. It doesn't come naturally to any person, whether they're French, uh, American, Australian, British, uh, New Zealand, you name it. It doesn't come naturally. But Jesus says if we want to be his followers, then we have to accept there's a challenge to serve. However, before you start gritting your teeth and thinking, okay, I'll just get on with it, it's another sermon about serving, uh, Jesus continues by offering us a wonderful incentive. I don't know if you caught this in verse 37. 
He says, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Do you get it? He says that as we gladly serve one another in love, we are in fact serving him, and by process the Father, and I think in some sense we are drawing closer to him. He doesn't fully explain it, and I spent much this week trying to ponder that. It's something I've never noticed before, and I'm not entirely sure how it works, if I'm honest. But Jesus in some way seems to suggest that when we serve one another in love, out of gratitude for what he's done for us, then actually that's a blessing both to those who are being served, but it's a blessing to the Father's heart. And in some sense, we draw deeper to him in our love for him and and our likeness to him. Uh, For many years, uh, my wife and I have served on a um, Christian summer camp uh, down in Dorset. We've done it for a few years, and uh, we we serve teenagers. And what we tend to do is end up leading the students uh, so the students come, and they, they kind of do lots of the grotty jobs around the place in order to kind of help the camp, camp go, as it were, and help the camp work. And, and I can tell you, it's really, really hard work. Uh, in the heat of summer, for nine days, scrubbing loos or washing countless uh, dirty plates, it, it's hard work. And there's always a point in the week, it's usually about two-thirds of the way through, where the, point, the, the thought just flashes through your mind, even if it's just for a moment. Why? Why am I doing this? Why am I giving up my my time, my holiday time? I could be on a beach somewhere. I could be doing something else. Why am I scrubbing loose in a dirty boarding school in the middle of nowhere? What what am I doing? Why? And yet I always come home. I I drive home, and I always come away with an enormous sense of satisfaction. Yeah. But actually, more importantly, a sense of growing in my love for the Lord Jesus. I can't always explain it. It doesn't seem to make sense to me in lots of ways. Uh, and my guess is that probably most of you have got similar stories that you can tell. Maybe it's been a, a holiday club or something you've served in or, or, or uh, something. Maybe it's just in, in the daily rhythms of church life. You've had that sense. But serving others does bring us deep joy as we're investing in the work of the gospel and, and actually we're serving Jesus and following his example. Uh, the Book of Common Prayer says that his service is perfect freedom. And it sounds like a paradox, doesn't it? Service shouldn't be freedom, but yet it is. Uh, lots of us will be serving regularly around Holy Trinity and other things. Uh, I want to say to you this morning, thank you. Thank you so much. Keep going. We couldn't survive if it wasn't for people who gave up their time and their energy to keep serving. Uh, but I want you to remember that the reason we serve is not because I've told you to serve or because you feel an expectation, but it's ultimately because Jesus served us first. Uh, We serve because he served us. Uh, We don't do it to gain his acceptance. It's not the case of if we serve harder, then he'll love us more. That's not how it works. We can't make him love us any more than he already does. But we do it as an overflow of the gratitude uh, of our hearts. Keep that in your minds as we keep serving. But it may be that there are some here this morning who are aware that actually this is probably an area in which they could grow. Uh, Maybe it's been for good reasons that you haven't been doing as much as you might have done. Perhaps it's been seasons of life uh, and so on and so forth. But you are aware that actually this is something you could grow in. Uh, And I want to encourage you to to act on that. There's lots of um, areas at Holy Trinity where we're looking for people to serve. Many of you will know that we've had some changes over the last few months. We're we're adapting to to, to life uh, in, in looking in a slightly different form. And that does mean that burdens are, are falling on different people. And we've got lots of things uh, where we could uh, do with some help and uh, do with some serving 
Uh, if you're interested, do speak to me, speak to, to Mike or Amanda. We would love to talk to you a bit more about how you can help and get stuck in. But whatever it is, let's embrace that challenge, the challenge to serve. Well, there's a famous uh, advert that um, the polar explorer Shackleton put in the Times newspaper, and it reads something like this. Uh, Men wanted for a hazardous journey. Small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, safe return doubtful, honour and recognition in case of success. (laughs) If you signed up for that, you knew what you were getting, I think. Uh, He didn't promise his followers an easy life, and Jesus doesn't either, I'm afraid to say. It's not easy. To follow him means renouncing claims to status, and it involves responding to that call to serve. And yet, friends, when we do that, we'll find that that is the way to life, to joy, and to peace. It's the path of Jesus, the one who set the example, who served you and me. He's our Lord and Saviour. If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. Let's pray. Lord, we do read these words of yours, and we wish that you'd never, read, you'd never said them. Uh, we would rather not be those who give up our status or have to serve others. Uh, and yet we realise that you are the one who sets our example in that. We thank you so much that you served us by dying for us. Thank you that you call us to serve you in your kingdom. And we pray this morning that uh, as we, I've been speaking, that anything that you have wanted to say to us will have hit home, that you would help us to chew it over and to act and respond on it uh, for your glory's sake. Amen.